available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. we got a pack show for you today. Lots of topics. Is it really? Well, yeah, kind of packed. we got, they got a lot of topics. My intern, okay, we got sure. the, we got we got to say goodbye to Dick Tomey, the Godfather. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunate, you know, he passed away at 80 years old. We're going to talk about him a little bit. Some uh, some big recruiting news uh, just before we started recording. Chris Steele uh, is now going to be an Oregon Duck. Uh, he went through spring football at Florida, so we'll talk about that. Oregon also got a quarterback, so a bunch of topics to get to, and a lot of your questions. Uh, it's funny, I just recorded a USC podcast earlier. And, you know, we get a decent amount of questions. And Keely, uh, you know, my one of my reporters, she's asked, you guys get a lot of Pac-12 questions? I'm like, yeah, we get like 15 or so each week for the show. It's like, that's a lot. I'm like, I think that's a lot, Dave. That's a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of questions. I mean, this this show today we have, oh, looks like, yeah, about 15. Yeah. That's, that's today's. It's been kind of averaging about 15, which is great. So lots of good stuff from all of you. If you want to email us, that's where most people send their questions. Podcast, uh, I'm sorry, pack12podcast at gmail.com. That's pack12podcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to call or text, you can do that. Leave a voicemail or send us a text, 424-532-0678. We do have a voicemail to play for you today. So we, I think we asked last week, Dave, and someone sent us a voicemail. So that's cool. That is fantastic. We um, we got some new iTunes reviews. Oh, we do. All right. Well, uh-huh. real quick, uh, Twitter, if you want to tweet us, at Pac12Podcast. The website, Pac12Podcast.com. Of course, iTunes, where Dave's going to read the reviews. So appreciate that. Someone did tweet us, like, where do I send in the questions? Um, so I guess they didn't. I don't know if they don't listen. We say it every show. Pac12Podcast at gmail.com. Just so you don't know. But I'm excited that we got some new uh, iTunes reviews. Yeah. All right. You ready? Yeah. So we've got Kobe three two one, pack crap. <laughs> love. Uh, that's the that's the title. Love the podcast. Love your honesty about the demise of the Pac twelve and the low quality of the overall play and competition. It seems like the Pac twelve has become an example of when you spread talents around evenly. No one is great anymore. Fight on. Then we got one from Washington State. Go Cougs. Great podcast. Enjoy the overview of all teams. And then. We got a really good one. This one, I, I, I'm gonna. I think I might print this one out. Okay. Uh, Stratonius says, um, in his subject line, <clears throat> it's a podcast. And then in the subject, in the subject, I want to see if I can get this right. Um, he says, decent. <laughs> so, hey. that's obviously effusive praise, and I, I, I very much appreciate it. Someone took the time to think that through. And write all that out. So that's amazing. So really appreciate that. Yeah, that was great. That was wonderful. So yeah, please uh, 
We are still five stars on iTunes, which seems like a mistake. But uh, <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna come in and uh, post uh, post a review, we would welcome it, and we will read it on the show. So there's that for you. Even if it's as glowing as the the latter, the last one that David, where we were called decent. So I know that's. You know, people would think that's like, wow, that's a little uncomfortable for people to talk about themselves that way. But we'll read anything on the air, even that we are, in fact, decent. And that it's an actual podcast. So, yeah, um, I guess some people might not think it is. So that's good. So at least, you know, we're in the right clarification. That's good. See, there you go. Positive stuff. Um, So the the unfortunate news uh, this past week was the passing of Dick Tomey. So if you didn't know, uh, I mean, he's been, he was one of the thought of as one of the most influential uh, PAC 12 coaches during that expansion era after the, after 1978. Uh, Do you remember desert swarm and uh, you know, those Arizona defenses uh, amazing stuff that they had back. Like if you, if you're like a recent PAC 12 fan, Arizona was really freaking good. Like they were it was like a top five team. I don't know. Do you remember that, Dave? Like that was those defenses were crazy. And uh, yeah, this was like this is like middle school for me. So this no, middle school, really. yeah. But um, yeah, I mean they were. I mean he had a top ten team in Arizona. He had a top five team in Arizona. And this was like, I mean Arizona isn't great right now, but this was like even pre that. Um, so. No, I mean he was he was uh, he was uh, an impressive figure, and I mean he coached for a long, long time at basically everywhere. Uh, was the head coach at Hawaii before Arizona, and helped kind of establish that like Pac-12 pipeline from the Polynesian community that we've come to kind of just recognize. Uh, he helped to establish that uh, when he was at Arizona, um, and probably you know building on his time at Hawaii. But I mean, long time Pac-10 guy uh ucla before that as a ol coach db coach dc and then uh most recently at san jose state as the head coach there so uh long long storied career in uh coaching for dick Tony. yeah 12 and 1 at arizona so and if you think of like new england greats that came from arizona like you're gonna think of gronk right but don't forget <laughs> teddy brewski right i mean he was a freaking beast in college and obviously uh uh, with the Patriots too, so at linebacker, that, those defenses were pretty amazing, and uh, they were they were setting the standard in the Pac-12. Which, if you're a recent fan, it's hard to kind of picture that, but that's the way it was uh, when he was uh, the coach there. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's uh, obviously sad news uh, for uh, for Arizona fans, but the Pac-12 in general um, losing one of those uh, kind of storied coaches from uh, from 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 the past few decades. And that you mentioned the Polynesian connection just real quick. Uh, so they have uh, coaches that are involved in the Polynesian bowl, like uh, June Jones and, and Dick Tomey was one of those guys. I think they've had Mike Bellotti. It's a few different coaches that are kind of get involved in that coaching over there. So he was, I don't remember. I think he was at the one I was in. I was at in January. I think he was out there. Um, you know, June Jones, a bunch of those guys were, but he was, Definitely involved in that. Uh, you know, seemed to enjoy his time uh, spent in Hawaii, which who wouldn't? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> pretty cool stuff. So unfortunately, you know, unfortunate passing. Um, but just wanted to kind of, you know, we're the, pack, we're the podcast of champions. We could not start the show without mentioning uh, the Godfather, Dick Tomey. All right. Well, um, moving on. 
uh, to some other Pac-12 news. Um, the Pac-12 North. Uh, so you've got in our. So here's the thing, Ryan. So I don't. I, I mean, I obviously contribute a ton to our shared doc, like obviously <laughs> a ton. But when you put in little notes without much context, like the one I'm highlighting right now, yeah, like, I don't know where this is from. I don't know what it's what's it, what it's in regard to. That's from my intern. The, That's from my intern. That's not. Come from on, me. intern. <laughs> Come on. That's my I don't thing. know what either of these mean, so I'm going to move on. For the third consecutive year, Arizona State AD, Ray Anderson, will receive a $355,000 bonus for the academic performance of ASU's teams. That's pretty cool. Nice That's pretty him. great. Um, so I'm actually in full support of this. You want to know why? Because uh, if UCLA gets a single-year <laughs> APR of 928 or less next year, according to John Wilner... They're going to miss the NCAA tournament, not because they suck, but because they're ineligible due to their APR. Ah, uh, yeah. That was a, that was an interesting tweet from uh, from our buddy John Wilner today. So that's so when you get that close, you're now on the you're teetering on the edge. I miss. I mean, I, that seems like a pretty harsh penalty missing the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's not great. It's not great. Um, so yeah, ASU, you want to bonus out three hundred and fifty grand for uh, for the the teams, you know, maintaining a respectable APR. Fine, fine, maintain that eligibility, baby. Ray Anderson, you're doing good work. Um, yeah, well, nice for him. Uh, there was also some news. I think we talked about last week where Colorado was uh, scheduling you know, some more teams. Uh, so according to Athletic Director Rick George, uh, they are trying to build the toughest schedule in the conference. They want to have it that way every year. Rick George says, we want to win, and we want to win at the highest level. And to do that, you have to compete against the highest level. So they're actively going out and scheduling uh, you know, tough teams you know, in the future. Now, it's going to take a while for this to, you know, to happen, right? Because you're scheduling games like 10 years in the future. But that's going to be the strategy sort of going forward. <sighs> That seems like a nice thing to say, but is that actually true? Like, if you want to win at the highest level, like, maybe compete against, like, the third highest level. You know? Yeah. Like, maybe maybe don't schedule, like, two SEC teams in a year or something like that. Like, uh, no. I, I would not build the toughest schedule in the conference. Don't do that. Colorado, don't do that. Maybe do that in, like, six years after you've really built something, but don't do that right now. No. I think no, it's hard in the Pac-12 because of the nine-game conference schedule. Um, and there's certain programs that are just going to get the benefit of the doubt. So, like, a USC would, you know, people expect them to be up there. If they win a bunch of games against like mediocre conference foes, they'll still get ranked high and stuff. For Colorado, it's a little harder. But if they had, like, Michigan and LSU on the schedule one year, which is brutal— but they happen to win both of those games. Now you're in the national championship contention. So I get the strategy behind it, but the odds of everything falling your way and you're able to, you know, go through the conference, um, you know, win the conference and, and win a couple big out of conference games. It just seems like that the likelihood of that is, you know, it's not very likely. Uh, but if you do, you're instantly in the national conversation where, you know, it might be harder for Colorado if you beat Colorado State and uh, you know San Diego State and you know Northern Arizona, like yeah, no one's going to care. But if you come out of the gate 
with a win over Michigan or something. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, now you're, people are going to talk about you. I guess. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, from like a publicity standpoint, I guess. But I don't know. If you're, if you're competing to like get to a, like if we're talking about like getting to a playoff or whatever, I think the, the, the secret to that is always going to be dominating the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, and then if you're if your non-conference was three relative patsies, but you went three and zero in non-conference, and you you know take an L or no, I mean it's basically the Pac-12 is not going to have a chance at least in the current structure. Probably if they're taking two losses, basically no matter what. Yeah. Um. So just you know, I mean, build that in, and if you play a tough non-conference schedule, I mean, as as like as tough as your strength of schedule is, if you're taking a loss there and a loss in conference, um, you're probably not going to be in a playoff. But if you avoided that loss in non-conference, well, 11-1, and one, that looks a little bit different. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I yeah, We're talking hypothetically because Colorado's obviously got a long, long way to go to get there. But, you know, this kind of rhetoric, if it's just rhetoric, is fine. But if it's actual practice, I, I would be a little bit worried about that. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't care about this next note. Okay. Um, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Uh, Cal receiver kind of Noah is leaving as a grad transfer to Nebraska. So Nebraska giveth to the Pac-12 and it taketh away. Yeah, uh, so, I do. I do love the back and forth. There's there's a lot of that. So that that makes kind of the little extra notes for the off season that are kind of fun. Uh, I know you don't care about the so Oregon. You know, obviously didn't get you know DJ Luke ukulele uh, <laughs> ukulele, but uh, they did pick up the number two pro passer uh, Jay Butterfield. So you know, bounce back on the recruiting front for Oregon. But the big one, like I mentioned up top, Oregon getting Chris Steele. So he is a five-star player, you know, uh, you know, one of the top 25 or whatever in the country. Ends up signing with Florida. He had been committed to, so St. John Bosco kid, been committed to UCLA, committed to USC. Was he committed anywhere else? I think that was No, it. no. So it's been, yeah, UCLA, then USC, then Florida, and then Oregon. So he had... I mean, and this is always cool, like when you can get three of the Pac-12 um, before you've actually even stepped foot on campus. Like, And we don't even know. Maybe he'll transfer later. So yeah. get, getting three under his belt already is pretty cool. That's, you know, at least there was one high school, right? I don't think he transferred any high school stuff. But um, yeah. But yeah, so he went through spring football at Florida. Uh, there was some, I know there were some injuries in the secondary, but he was getting first team reps out there and uh, wanted to transfer, uh, wanted to transfer roommates. We wanted to get away from his roommate and his roommate ended up transferring out his, it was a quarterback, freshman quarterback who had two sexual assault allegations that happened like 30 minutes apart, but apparently made a request. I talked to some sources. It seemed like that was true that he wanted not to have this kid as his roommate. Um, Florida didn't do anything. This stuff comes out and then he's in, his name was actually mentioned in the police report. Uh, I don't know if that's the driving force behind it, but that's certainly something he could use to get eligible right away. Um, I've talked, it seemed like it was going to, I think UCLA was involved. USC was involved. Oregon was involved. Oregon's got uh, overall scholarship issues. Like we've talked about that before. Um, USC, which was probably the bigger problem, had initial scholarship issues. So they brought in a grad transfer from the transfer portal by my math, they didn't have any more room to bring in anyone else in this class. So I think that was going to be some kind of hurdle they would have to get over to get Chris Steele. But didn't take him long. Uh, tweeted out earlier today that he's uh, going to be an Oregon Duck. So I think that's a big win for Oregon. So that's two five-stars in this class. 
Um, pretty uh, pretty good stuff uh, from from Oregon. And my guess, Dave, is he's going to be eligible to play right away, like a lot of the other guys. That yeah, have done this. yeah, they're they're not denying a whole lot anymore. So I would imagine he's going to be immediately eligible. So yeah, very good get for Oregon, and they also. Uh, just secured uh, Jay Butterfield in the uh, 2020 class. Um, he's the number two pro-style quarterback. Um, I want to say a bad name, though. Butterfield? You know? Yeah. Butterfield, I don't I don't love it. Like, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't scream to me like elite. So, I think he's got a lot to get past there. Uh, but, obviously, uh, good prospect. Uh, top 100 kid nationally and, and the number two pro-style guy. So, uh, that's a big get, and from California, so that's another feather in the cap of the uh, Oregon recruiting team pulling pulling a, a guy away from uh, you know any California schools. So that's uh, that's a big get for them as well. So they're still rolling along uh, very much so in recruiting. Yeah, and that you know it's not this is not going to derail the Oregon hype machine certainly at all. It's going to add to it, um, which just is going to make the Pac-12 North race all that much more interesting. Uh, can Oregon maintain it, uh, win a bunch of these games that you kind of expect them to win, and then win some of the big ones against the powers in the north? Or is Washington going to roll through everybody? Or is Washington State going to bounce back? Or will Stanford surprise people? I don't know. There's a there's a lot of good stories in the Pac-12 uh, north, and uh, Oregon just kind of recruiting at this level and getting a, a five-star transfer like that is a, is a pretty big deal. Yep. Uh, what else we got in these notes? Uh, we've got, uh, Colorado pulled, uh, 2020 dual threat, Brendan Lewis from Mizzou. So that's a good get for Mel Tucker. Oh yeah. Nice. For um, him. Cal's been recruiting pretty strong. They got uh, linebacker, Andy Alfieri. They've actually recruited Oregon pretty well. Uh, receiver Casey Filkinson, uh, linebacker, Andy Alfieri, uh, the number one and number seven prospects in Oregon this year. Ah. So, all right. So Oregon reaches down for Jay Butterfield and Cal gets you right back. Um, so that's. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But this is the big note that I kind of want to talk about because sure. um, it relates to the Pac-12 more broadly. Um, Fox has decided to make their best game of Saturdays in a non-Pac-12 slot at uh, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Mm. Um, so this is going to be interesting because this is going to impact home crowds in Pac-12, given that most will be at work during the times of the games. Um I don't know. What do you make of this? Yeah. So I think there's a big push. So, um, you know, so the, the college football show from ESPN is the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the morning show where you wake up and you just watch what, do they, I'm, why am I blank on the name of the college football show? What does they call it? Game day. Game day. Oh my God. I can't think of game day. That's a bet. Like it's one of the best shows on TV. It's awesome. Fox is trying to compete with that. So you have, uh, they bring in Reggie Bush. Uh, they're going to have him on the show. And I think they want to have a good lead in from that show to uh, to their college football show. Um, and so I think that's why this makes sense. They want to make sure you're going to tune in. If it's Michigan, Ohio State or whatever, they're going to put that game on at noon uh, Pacific I mean, sorry, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And then, uh, you know, so there'll be a reason to watch their college football morning show as opposed to game day. Um, I, I don't know what that's going to mean for the Pac-12, but if it's a really good Fox game at 9 a.m. and then, you know, you've got like Oregon, Washington at noon, 
that might be kind of cool, you know, like a good lead in. So maybe it would be, you know, help a little bit less for the, uh, the night games. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. I think this was presented differently on Twitter because now that I'm thinking like this has no real effect on the pac 12. Like the only thing is like, they're basically saying their best game is never going to be a pac 12 game, but whatever. Right. Who gives a crap? I mean, they're going to put emphasis on that 9 a.m. time slot. Yeah, um, they're not putting their they're not putting their emphasis now on the 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 four Eastern you know one p.m. slot anymore. Yeah, which is what it was previously. So okay, but I don't think that is going to meaningfully impact things. It'll just be they'll get the B crew for that game and the A crew for the nine a.m. game, right? Yeah. So you'd have uh, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt on that, and you know a lot of times you're going up against. Purdue, Iowa or something, right? Like that's the games they'll show at 9 a.m. Like if you're on here on the West Coast and game day's over and then you're like, those are the kind of games that are on. Like not, there's not a lot of good. So, you know, maybe that's a time slot that they feel is uh, more gettable as far as you can, you know, steal away some of the eyeballs from ABC and ESPN. Um, Curious to see uh, where that goes. But yeah, I mean, I I think it would help the Pac-12 if that morning show does better because there'll probably be more Pac-12 talk. It's a West Coast-based program as opposed to, you know, game days pretty much, you know, an SEC kind of thing a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, so I think it helps. You know, just having some competition and stuff out there, I think will be helpful. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I actually think this is fine and completely normal. So, yeah. yeah, I think he put, no in, he put in our notes that it's like where people are working. Like, this is a Saturday, so I don't think, you know, it's not like West Coast people... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I don't know. Uh, that I was weird. Yeah. I it's, don't know what's going on. I got to pay for better help, you know? <laughs> you really got to pay for better help. Because <laughs> I'm just going to read what's in front of me. I'm like Anchorman. Yes. Uh, you're Ron Burgundy? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Are we doing questions now or what? No. What the, so just below that, this is something I did, not even my intern. Um, you know, David, we'll get to David's contributions in a minute. Um Probably not. Um, so, at the uh, the request the request of Boyd in San Ramon, he wanted to know. He wanted us to go through each week and pick like the coolest game for for the Pac-12. So I put the week one games in the in this, and I'll read them to you. And David will get your thoughts on which one's the best. So August twenty fourth, uh, Arizona's at Hawaii. So that's going to start. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll watch the absolute crap out of that for sure. Uh, August 29th, Kent State will go to Arizona State. UCLA will be on the road at Cincinnati, um, which I spelled wrong. Utah will be at BYU, so the Holy War there. Um, <laughs> um, actually, it's that's not even right. No, I, I, I fixed it, but then, uh, so I mean, <laughs> I'm in the dock and I'm like, oh, I spelled Cincinnati wrong, so I fixed it, and then David went to refix it, but it was already fixed. Um, August, we're having a little back and forth in there. August 30th, uh, OSU at OSU. Wait, should I do August 29th first? Oh, it's this entire weekend. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I get the concept now. I'm, I'm just cool. saying when the games are. So this is this first yeah. week, basically. Uh, I guess you could say Arizona versus Hawaii might be like week zero, but, um, so August 30th, Oklahoma state, uh, at Oregon state. So that's kind of cool. The OSUs and then Colorado state will be at Colorado. And then the big game, uh, the big day, August 31st, you have Auburn and Oregon, neutral site uh, at AT&T Stadium uh, outside of Dallas. UC Davis going to Cal. 
Eastern Washington will be at Washington. New Mexico State will be at Washington State. Northwestern will be at Stanford. And a 12 win from last year, Fresno State will be at USC in the newly renovated Coliseum. So, I mean, the obvious one is Auburn versus Oregon, right? But there's some okay. other good ones. So, so here I'll do a viewing schedule. Okay. Um, so August 24th, you have no excuse. You have to watch Arizona at Hawaii. I'm sorry I don't make the rules. <laughs> August 29th, assuming all three of these games, Kent State at ASU, UCLA at Cincinnati, and Utah at BYU are at the same time, and you are not vested in any single one, I would probably go UCLA at Cincinnati. Yeah. I would ex- I would fully expect Utah to beat the crap out of BYU, and I fully expect ASU to beat the crap out of Kent State. I think UCLA at Cincinnati will probably be the most interesting and tell us the most about a team uh, this year. Um, August 30th, I think the play is probably Colorado State at Colorado. Um, Oklahoma State is the best team playing that day, um, but the mismatch there between them and um, Oregon State is probably a little too much, though Oregon State was frisky at home last year, but I'd probably still go the Colorado State-Colorado game. That one has been competitive in years past. And then, obviously, Auburn and Oregon. uh, you got to watch that one on August 31st. But if you're not watching that one, I'd probably go Fresno State at USC. Um, the other ones, you know, obviously Eastern Washington has gotten interesting against lots of teams over the years, and Northwestern at Stanford certainly uh, – well, Stanford at Northwestern certainly derailed a very good season for Stanford uh, four years ago. But um, Fresno State at USC. Fresno State's going to be really good again, most likely, um, and USC might be trash, and we'll see what that new offense looks like. So – um, I think that's the play if you're uh, if you're already done with Auburn and Oregon on the 31st. Yeah, I think I want to see what Stanford sort of looks like against a Big Ten team. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple years ago. It was a couple years ago, I think they went on the road 20, in 2015. 2015. 2015 yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, Utah BYU. I certainly want to see UCLA at Cincinnati because that didn't go so well at in the Rose Bowl last year. But BYU could be. I mean, they still play a bunch of Pac-12 teams this year. Um, I think Utah. Is going to be the favorite in the South. I think they're going to handle business on the road to BYU, but that that to have a rivalry game like that out of the out of the gate, uh, like on a uh, Thursday night, that's going to be. I think that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Um, let me see what Bill Connolly has BYU doing this year. He's got them being decent. Uh, but about what they've been, um, they should have uh, what looks like a pretty good offense. Um, but let me see what they have them for that Utah game right now. He's got his numbers say Utah should be a touchdown favorite in that game. Oh, well, so yeah, it'll be good stuff. Um, well, we can jump into questions before, but I want to uh, let everyone know about Mac Weldon, uh, one of our cool sponsors here. I love wearing their stuff. Uh, the Mac Weldon mission is simple to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. I can guarantee you that it's my favorite stuff to wear. I'm doing a lot more working out, wearing all my Mac Weldon stuff and I love it. So they believe in smart design, premium fabrics and simple shopping. Uh, the shopping experience is really easy on MacWeldon.com. Go check it out. It's really intuitive. Uh, they'll also be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. You want to be comfortable, so you don't. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they're still going to refund your money, no questions asked. Uh, they not only do they do underwear, socks, shirts, and they look good. They perform well too. You can go to work out, like I said, if you want to go on dates, everyday life. 
What I bought recently uh, was the Ace and Radius sweatpants. Very different, uh, but they both are cool. Ace is more of that kind of traditional sweatpants. It's easy to go around if you want to go to the gym. Radius, I've actually wore those as golf pants. They're a little nicer that you could wear out other things as well. So make sure you go check those out. Uh, those are the most recent things I got from Mack Weldon. Really easy to use on the website. Uh, I just, I love the products. The, everything fits so well. The socks, the underwear, the t-shirts. So go check it out. And for all of our listeners here, 20% off your first order. If you go to MacWeldon.com and you enter promo code POC at checkout, that's promo code POC at MacWeldon.com, and they'll give you 20% off your first order. So make sure you go check it out. Very cool. All right. Should we get to some questions? Yeah, we should. All right. um, I will start with Rusty Fence, uh, a final word from the content police. Okay. Howdy, boys. I've decided to lighten up on my criticism of some of the dumb questions you receive. After all, it is your gig and podcast, and you boys seem to enjoy the really dumb questions. And stupid (laughs) is fun, right? That's right. (laughs) Still, I am writing with one final suggestion about content, which will be my last. Specifically, I suggest that, where appropriate, you bestow a verbal award for particularly good questions or comments. A good name for the award would be the... Podcast of Champions Medal of Excellence, the acronym of which would be phonetically pronounced as the Poke Me Award. (laughs) On the flip side, for really inane and meaningless questions, you could bestow a weekly Podcast of Champions Medal for inane questions. This would be phonetically pronounced as the Poke Mike Award, or for short, the Yammy. Since you boys are a bit slow on the uptake and recognizing my outrageously stupid squeal like a pig joke of days past, please understand that I am joking about the monikers for these awards, which are admittedly stupid as hell and phonetically incorrect. But seriously, boys, I do think that your occasional and judicious bestowing of awards for both particularly good and particularly dumb questions might be fun. Give it a whirl and trial run for a few weeks before the season starts. Your pal on the range, Rusty Fence. Rusty what so I'm assuming at some point in Rusty's life, Mike Yam came into it and like stole his girlfriend or something or kicked his dog. There's something Rusty does not like Mike Yam, like not at yeah. all. Yeah, Rusty and and Rusty's. Um, I, I'm still not completely buying that he is not actually Hithliday. Oh really? Like references to boys a lot. Like and he and Hithliday's favorite thing is calling us boys. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And it's another pseudonym. You got Rusty Frentz. You got Hithliday Almond. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just don't know, Ryan. It's some random Gmail account. I'm Um, not buying it. I'm not buying it. All right. Well, Rusty, I'm sorry that you hate Mike Yam so much. Um, But we're going to give you the uh, the Poke Mike Award for this question. So uh, (laughs) that was his Podcast of Champions medal for inane questions. Um. Yeah, anything else on that? Or we just move no, on? No, no, no. Please move Okay, on. let's move on from that. Uh, Rusty, we feel bad. Okay, updated Pac-12 power rankings. Uh, we haven't done that in a while, but I don't think there's really any reason to do it right now. Hey, Ryan and David, thanks for giving college football junkies like myself something new to look forward to on a weekly basis during the post-spring practice doldrums. On that note, I wanted to share the most recent CFB winning edge Pac-12 power rankings. As I might have mentioned before, These are based strictly on our data-driven player and team ratings and not opinion. This also is not a projected order of finish because uh, these don't include schedule info. In other words, this is the order in which we would favor one team over another on a neutral field. I've also included the national rankings for each team according to 
college football winning edge team strength ratings, power rankings, same caveats apply. So this is basically, you know, he said if, you know, Washington and Oregon State were going to play on a neutral field, this is where they would end up. But this is not taking into account like, hey, Oregon's got to go play Auburn early on uh, and Washington's playing Eastern Washington. So his or road road home things. Road home things too. Okay. So uh number one, he has Washington. And so I guess in parentheses, is that the national ranking? Okay. Yeah. So ninth Washington is first in the Pac twelve, ninth nationally. All right. And then Oregon is second in the Pac twelve and twelfth nationally. Uh just behind Utah, fourteenth nationally, third in the Pac twelve. Stanford's fourth, uh seventeenth nationally so three of the top four are all pac-12 north teams then you got usc coming in uh fifth number 22 in the country asu it sneaks in the top top 25 25th number six in the pac-12 ucla 31st in the nation seventh in the pac-12 arizona eighth in the pac-12 34th in the nation uh number nine you got washington state in the pac-12 and they're 41st overall uh and the at 10, Cal, 63rd. 11, Colorado is 66th. And then in last place, you have Oregon State. Uh, they're 74th in the Pac-12. And he says, thoughts? Uh, okay, yeah, then I guess with thoughts on that. Is that does that kind of make sense to you, the, the rankings? or um, To a certain extent. Um, so... The national rankings, I think, are all a little bit too clustered towards the middle, which makes you think it's probably because it's preseason stuff and it has to be um, based a little over much on recruiting rankings um, because Oregon State's probably better than most group of five schools. But Oregon State is probably not the 74th best team in the country. They're probably more like the 100th best team in the country. Um, and I think this is probably based on them recruiting at like you know a higher level than whatever Air Force or whatever it is. Um but I think the order more or less makes sense. Um, Washington, Oregon being one, two is fine. Stanford being uh, fourth and uh, third in that in the North cluster is good. Utah being the best team in the South makes sense. USC being number two if they bounce back with a new offense that makes sense. UCLA is probably a little high for me. Um, Washington State maybe a little bit low. Um, yeah, and I would maybe flip those two. Um, and have Arizona still at eight, but have UCLA nine and Washington State seven. Um, but Cal, Colorado, Oregon State to round it out, that's probably fine. Metrics didn't love Cal last year um, because they just kind of won games in like really ugly, weird fashion. Uh, but they also have never loved Washington State. So this this kind of jives with what I've seen from a lot of other metric systems. So I think it's right from that perspective. Like this is what numbers should tell you. I would say the national rankings is maybe what's giving me a little bit of pause because it's got – uh, eight Pac-12 teams as top 35 teams, uh, which just does not does not compute with what we've seen from the Pac-12 in the last couple of years. Yeah, that seems a little high. And then, you know, it's hard to say. Like, do you think Washington's go from, like, Washington State's going to go all the way down to number nine? Like you'd mentioned, think it'd be a little higher. Cal, if they figure out the offensive side and their defense is still as good, like maybe they win more games and they're not winning as ugly as they were, you know, last year. I, I don't know. I mean, there's... I'm curious to see where they end up, but it's just, it's such a, you know, it's so packed in the North right now. It's going to be hard to get some of those wins. I think we have to really, when we go through the schedule, like we do in the off season, who's missing who is going to be a big deal. You know, that was a big deal for Utah last year that they had a tough 
Pac-12 North schedule. They were able able to overcome it and win the South. Um, but you know, if it, you know, I'm curious to see what Cal's is, what Washington State's is, and and kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. And he says also, I'm curious how many of your listeners are fantasy or daily fantasy sports players, or if you ever dabbled in either. I've never played either for college football, but there seems to be a growing market for both. Thanks again, Nicholas. I've never done it, um, but I'm. I, I don't know this. I, I thought this window was more like three or four years ago. I haven't. I. I. I, I remember when it was like suddenly became a big thing, and then I never did anything with it. Yeah, I think we might have had some kind of deal or something. Like I've done fantasy football, like for NFL. Like I've done that a bunch, um, but never like. Really daily fantasy, never really got into that. Uh, I think there was some promotion like on a podcast or something I did once where I would just do it for that, but it wasn't really anything I was all that interested in. Um, I've never done the college version. I know some people have have done that, but uh, it seems like it's a popular thing. What, like DraftKings and um, yeah. and there's another one. They might have merged or something. I don't know. But yeah, not really, not really been into it besides playing like fantasy football. Um, which I, I didn't do, I did for a few years and I stopped and I actually did one this past year because I knew that some of the people weren't that smart and it was like a, a bigger buy-in. So I ended up finishing second, so I won money, but only because it seemed like the odds were better because I didn't really respect the people to do it, if yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, All right, this next one we're not supposed to read on air, which I mean probably means we're not going to read it ever. Um, <laughs> I reread it, but okay. This is from uh, Scott in Washington. Backstory on recruit Savelle Smalls and him eliminating UAW. All right, so this is the thing we requested from some Washington people last year, and Scott has a or last week, and Scott has obliged. Ryan Dave, last week you asked for some additional info on why five-star linebacker Savelle Smalls suddenly dropped from UW, UW from his final five or six. So here is a quick synopsis: Spring 2018, an inner-city high school coach made racial overtones that UW was not recruiting his kid, who ended up going to Eastern Washington, an FCS school. Then, over the summer 2018, a person who trains high school kids and runs seven-on-seven teams that travel around the West Coast competing made similar claims, at least privately, and finally a dad of a four-star wide receiver that committed to Ohio State on De- in December of 2018 insinuated the same thing on why UW wasn't, didn't recruit him. There are people in recruiting circles that have been told by people within the program at UW that both Oregon and SC have used this to spin the narrative that Chris Peterson's OKG message is somehow racist and doesn't fit well with African-American kids. In the case of Savelle, three months ago, Greg Biggins had an interview with him, and he told him UW was already in his final five or six, and when Biggins said he was almost ready to crystal ball him to UW, Savelle essentially told him that wouldn't be a bad idea. Fast forward to the end of April, and two to three hours before UW's spring preview, he calls UW and cancels his visit to the game and tells them he is eliminating them from his final six and later puts out a tweet saying he wants to get away from home. Savelle can pick up the phone and have a scholarship to any school in America, and currently the feeling is Florida State may be the leader for him, which is where Willie Taggart, at least for now, landed after he left Oregon, and who would have recruited Savelle as a sophomore. Up here, there is no one who believes Chris Peterson is in any way, shape, or form racist, nor is his OKG philosophy. However, if if that is the perception of others, especially in today's world of social media, it can easily spread and become the reality for some. I am certain UW or or Coach Pete won't and shouldn't address this publicly, but privately, I hope they are taking steps to kill this portrayal. Thanks to the podcast. Go dogs! Wow. Okay, great stuff, Scott. Um, I think that's a really nuanced look at it, um, and I agree. I think even true or untrue, that's something they definitely have to address because that is now um, sounds like it's a very strong undercurrent, at least, um, uh, up there 
um, in recruiting circles. If, if multiple people are saying it, then you know under the surface that there's many, many poor people saying it. And so it's even if it is just rumor mill stuff and something that becomes true because you keep talking about it, uh, that's still something they now have to deal with and uh, and recruit against um, and uh, and handle that negative recruiting. So I wasn't really paying a lot of attention when you read that. So Chris Peterson is a racist is what you were saying. Is that how? Yeah, that, basically, basically. That's what Scott was, was, saying. was saying. Okay. Yeah. Scott was saying he's a virulent racist. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, very bad news for Washington fans. No, no, <laughs> no. We don't know any of that for certain. There could be a lot of reasons why this is happening. Um, but I mean, I, I think it would be, you know, obviously good for his him and his staff to be introspective and see if there's some different way they could be getting their message across because it's it's clearly not being received by at least some people the right way. Um, but also, they're going to have to handle it even just beyond that. They're going to have to handle it now from a from a you know just the way you would handle any sort of negative recruiting. Um, they have to you know ha- craft a good message for how to talk to kids about this and you know the local seven on seven coaches and all that kind of stuff because you don't want your uh, home base and Seattle's becoming a you know pretty robust market with lots of talent coming out of there now um you, you want to make sure that you're uh you're 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 keeping your home base secure wow chris peterson doesn't like black players that's so weird man i don't know how i know you, it's, it's bad so, it's bad news I, bad news god i'm sorry that you had to you know tell us that but um no uh yeah well obviously just kidding um no i mean washington's <laughs> certainly recruiting at a higher level i think you know losing one kid that's local yeah i don't think it's that big of a deal um, you know, that the, the OKG thing was working for a while. Now you're getting some higher rank kids. And when you, you, you recruit higher rank kids, stuff like this is going to happen sometimes. So I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary. Um, we do have a voicemail. Do you want me to play that one for you? Yeah, please. All right, here you go. Hey guys, I'm really enjoying the uh, podcast during the, uh, dead off season. Hey, what would you think about making uh, and college football? The transfer rule for the standard transfer, uh, they could play four games just like the redshirt rule. So anyone that transfers except for those with the waivers could play uh, four games in their transfer year. That's, that they usually would set out. My name's Chuck. And like I said, I really enjoy the show and uh, keep it going, guys. Huh. I haven't heard that one before. Is that Have you heard that? Well, so the new redshirt rule where guys who are redshirting, like, um, uh, you know, kids who are coming into school and they're freshmen and they're redshirting, they can still play four games now. Um, he's talking about making that the standard transfer rule as well. Right. So a guy coming into a new school. I haven't heard it before. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I what I'm saying. Hate, I, haven't, I, I haven't heard that specifically, uh, but it's kind of I, interesting. I don't know. I don't hate the idea, but I would prefer it if there's just no penalty transfers. Yeah. Um, I think that's the one that makes more sense, and I think the NCAA is – um, unofficially moving towards that. Um, it seems like more and more guys are granted that waiver to just play. Um, because I, I, I you know, I, yeah, you're going to have, you know, but I think that, that Pandora's box is open. Like, I, I don't, guys are grad transferring all the time. They're they're transferring all the time, even with the without the guarantee that they are going to be able, able to immediately play. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's not as much roster stability as there was, even 10 years ago. So that's just the reality of the situation now. So why not make it more equitable for the kids? If they find that they don't have a good situation where they're getting the right amount of playing time to further their pursuit of, you know, being a a star football player or whatever, or they're finding that they don't have a good situation there, coach got fired, or they're finding that they just don't like it there. 
they should be free to transfer and play. I don't. Uh, the penalty thing is just. Uh, I think it's it's already been done by so many different breaks in the in the mold of of a college football team that why not just do away with the entire rule? Yeah, that makes sense. But in the meantime, like having be able to play four games, ah, eh, could be interesting. Yeah, um, agreed. But I yeah, yeah I haven't, maybe, I haven't heard maybe that steps one to get there. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, you want to do this one? You want me to do it? I can do it. Okay. All right, you asked, and I'm here to deliver. This is Andrew from Buckeye Country. Hi, Ryan and Dave. On last week's show, Dave, you asked somebody to compile a list of the top 100 players, 24-7 rankings, and see if those on the West Coast either stayed or left the conference. Well, I'm here to deliver that list. Nice. Nice. In my first draft, I listed every player, their, the, their respective rank, what state they were from, and what team they ended up with. The original list got to be nine pages long, but I remembered that you guys are effective condensers, a.k.a. lazy, so I just reduced it to a single chart. I went back as far as 2011 when Utah and Colorado joined the conference and worked my way up until this year's class. I hope you guys enjoy it. Conference geography was kept super simple. Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, Utah, and Colorado. So the only thing I would have added, Andrew, is Hawaii. Um, because Hawaii generally gets counted as part of the Pac-12 footprint. Um, you know, just, I, I don't know, for dumb reasons, but it does. Most of those kids, well, a lot of them do stay home at Hawaii, but the good ones generally are leaving for Pac-12 schools. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, all other players outside of those respective states were counted as being outside of the conference. All right. So he says, uh, 2011, a uh, number that were kept in the conference were 16. One was pulled out. One left the conference. Or one was pulled in from outside of the conference and one left the conference. So 2011, great job. Yeah. Uh, 2012, 14 uh, kept in, eight pulled in, and four left. That's really uh, 2013, good. Yeah. 2013, 11 kept in, three pulled in, three left. Uh, 2014, nine kept in, two pulled in, five left. So not that's a, not great. No bueno. Uh, 2015, 17 kept in, six pulled in, three left. So that's pretty good. 2016, nine kept in, four pulled in, and seven left. Okay, so that's really bad. And then uh, 2017, 13 kept in, four pulled in, and three left. 2018, 12 kept in, uh, two pulled in, and three left. And then 2019, this most recent cycle, is the worst one by far. Ten kept in, two pulled in, nine left the conference. Um, So... No huge difference in the first five years versus the last four. Um, but two of the biggest ones have been in the last four years of guys leaving the conference. So that's not great. Um, I don't know. Do you have any other takeaways from this? Um, well, I guess the last 2019 that it'll it's going to change to 11 and, and 8 because of the Chris Steele uh, transfer. I guess that's true. Yeah. So that's, right. that's kind of positive. Um but that's not the kind of ratio you want. Like it, it, it's you know, a one to one ratio essentially is not. Uh, you want to be able to keep more of the best players. You know, it changes every year. But this is telling you that nineteen. Uh, you know, so basically twenty percent of the top one hundred were West Coast guys. You know, and you only kept half of them home. So that's. That, I don't think that's a good percentage there so you don't want that trend to be happening you know last year 2018 it was a lot better with 12 and and three and still bringing some in um but yeah to only bring in two and and losing eight or nine is uh is not good yeah i think that's probably the best way to look at it because in the first five years there were just probably more 
slightly more per year that were top 100 guys in the West. In the last four, there haven't been as many, but there have been two years where it's been more or less even. You know, 2016, nine kept in, seven left. 2019, 10 kept in, nine left. Well, now 11 and eight, but that's, yeah, that's not a good ratio. You need to keep that at like at least a three to one, four to one, which is what it was for most of the first, you know, five years. Oh, okay. Ah, cool. Um, all right, we got one. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to do that. Actually, yeah, that was great, Andrew. I, Thank you. I actually emailed him. So if I uh, said, hey, if you want to send me the data, I could put something up on the site and give you credit. Um, if you want to, you know, it's hard to do that on the podcast, but we could put it up either on the podcast of champions or just on 24 seven sports. And uh, people might be interested in seeing that. Um, Alex wrote in, uh, how do you guys see the role of analysts? changing college football. So he's talking about like the uh, support staff that many of these uh, programs have and they're, they're bigger and bigger every year. He said, in many cases, it seems like a win-win for both the analyst and the teams. See Jeff Tedford at Washington a few years ago uh, when they went to the college football playoff or Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama. It seems like elite programs are getting huge advantages by hiring an abundance of talented analysts. Thanks guys. That's from Alex. Yeah, I mean, I think they're. I think it's changing it a little bit. Um, I think it's allowing some programs, especially like Alabama, to operate more like a pro team and really dissect film and scout ahead and do all that kind of specialized work that I think, you know, in the amateur years of past when college football was a little bit more of an amateur sport was just kind of unthinkable. Um, but I think now they can have robust scouting departments and robust um, film departments and all that kind of stuff and i think you know it's just a, it's the money in college football it's all that kind of stuff that um it, yeah, i think it does give them an advantage i don't know how huge it is i think the 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 biggest advantages in college football are still you know who's your head coach and uh you know how talented are the guys he hires as the main you know offensive and defensive coordinator but mostly who's your head coach and then um you know how good are your is your you know is your staff at selling their vision to high school recruits? Um, if both of those things are, are gangbusters, I don't think you need a million analysts. Um, but I, I, more always helps. I mean, I think that you you can if you can you know scout you know fifty more you know guys every year and be a little bit more selective in who you recruit, or if you can do that you know extra couple of hours of film prep where you can really you know figure out okay, here's how their defensive backs shade and this play or whatever it is. Um, yeah, obviously that stuff helps on the margins. I just I, I think it's something to add to a really elite program to make them even more elite. But I think a good program can still become a good program without it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, But, you know, you look at what Jeff Tedford's been able to do at Fresno State. Is it a coincidence that, the you know, he was an analyst the year that Washington went to the, the college football playoff? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Now, you're a Nick Saban you can get coaches in transition, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, guys that are like, you know, down on their luck or whatever. They're going to be at a better job soon, but they're not right now. And you can bring them in as an analyst. And I think that's kind of smart. And sometimes it's a situation where, you know, Lane Kiffin leaves before the national championship game and you happen to have Steve Sarkeesian already on your staff as an analyst. You can just promote him. You don't have to go hire someone from outside. So it's almost like a backup plan as well. If one of your coaches leaves, um, you know, you, you could have like co-defensive coordinators and stuff like what we saw Ohio State have last year. They, they you know, they hired in Alex Grinch, but they also had uh, Greg Schiano. 
But in this case, it's like you get like a defensive minded coach that if your defensive coordinator leaves, he, you know, he's a former NFL defensive coordinator or something or NFL head coach. And you could bring them in and, and have them, you know, so they're already familiar with your program and stuff. So I think there's some advantages to doing it. I don't think you need it, but, you know, just even have them as a backup. If one of your coaches leaves for something, it's kind of a nice, uh, you know, a nice reason to have those guys, you know, obviously bring in some credibility, uh, having former coordinators or former head coaches on your staff as just like helpers, basically, uh, you know, I, I, can't hurt, especially if you have a young coaching staff. Absolutely, to have the the credibility of a Steve Sarkeesian on your staff. I mean, <laughs> I think that's or or Lane Kiffin. I mean, I think that really does add something. Yeah, you know, former head coaches in the Pac-12, and, and it's true. Well, I mean, right? that's what I said. You're talking about these are former head coaches, and for your team, they're an offensive analyst. You know, like that's that says something. I think that says something to you know about Nick Saban, like flexing his muscles. Like we get for you know other programs would hire this guy as a head coach. I would hire him as an analyst. Like that's kind of a impressive statement. Do you think he'll be able to poach Clay Helton after this season directly from the head coaching <sighs> position without being fired um, as, as an analyst? There is apparently talk between their agents and uh, <laughs> I know the analyst position in Alabama pays more than the head coach at USC, <laughs> but I'm not sure if he would leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is from Kyle from Seattle. Out-of-conference scheduling. With the new Vegas and L.A. stadiums, who takes the lead on scheduling big out-of-conference games? Is it strictly the conference, or can teams cut deals? Do the schools keep the money, or does it get split like bull revenue? Thanks, and keep up the great work. Frank, I don't think it's the conference at all. No. Um, I think it's mostly, actually, TV networks, the bullets, or the, ga- the, the stadium, whatever, group itself, and then the teams. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't think the don't conferences think the get involved in that role. at all. Um, so, yeah. But, and as far as the money, I don't know if there's a conference split. I thought it would go, you know, there's not like a conference split when you have to pay Eastern Washington to come play a home game at your, you know, or whatever, or you get, you know, paid like that. I, yeah. I don't think there's a conference split, but I don't know. Maybe- yeah. I'm sure they get, they get, do they get some sort of appearance fee from the game? Yeah, usually you're getting money. Um, so, like, I think when USC played Alabama at, at AT&T Stadium a couple of years ago, I think both teams got, like, fees for that. But I don't know if any of it goes back to the SEC or the Pac-12. I can't imagine it does. No. I mean, it's not as if, yeah, I would I would have to imagine that's, um, that's strictly the teams. Yeah, but, yeah, interesting question. We'll see. I think there'll be some cool games because you get games at uh, – you know, Atlanta now and in Dallas, but having a West Coast game, if you could bring an SEC team out to Vegas to play, you know, Florida plays, uh, you know, Stanford or something like that'd be pretty cool. Um, if you yeah, could do that. Absolutely. We got one from Anthony. David, he says, hi, Ryan and Dave. Uh, does Khalil Tate have the highest ceiling of any player in the Pac-12 this season? What do you think? Uh, tough question to answer. I mean, in an ideal world, yes, because, um, uh, what he did for one month, two years ago was like the most impressive thing I've seen from a Pac-12 player. And I don't know yeah. ever. Um, but is that a realistic ceiling? I mean, I, I guess in terms of a ceiling, yeah, he's shown he can do that for a month. So if he can do that for a full year, yeah. Uh, obviously last year, looked nothing like that um but yeah sure i think that's fair to say he has the highest ceiling 
Um, realistically speaking, it's probably something somebody more like Justin Herbert, yeah, um, who's closer to that ceiling, so it's more realistic. Um, but but Tate, I mean, his athleticism makes it a whole different ball game if he suddenly decides that he's he wants to run, he's healthy enough to run again, um, and and is willing to, um, and the offense is geared for it. Yeah, I think he could be hugely explosive once again. I think he's got a real shot. Uh, Herbert, probably, if he has a big year, the scouts already want to make him a top five kind of prospect. So if he has big numbers, I think it's easier for him to kind of rise to the top there. But if we see anything, like you said, that month um, with Khalil Tate, then there's going to be a lot of like Kyler Murray kind of talk. And he already went number one. So I, I think if he has a huge year, and they're winning games, and he's putting up like ridiculous video game type numbers again. I I don't think there's going to be anything stopping him. Um, I mean, he would pass Justin Herbert in my opinion, uh, even though he's not like the prototypical guy like Herbert is. And especially if uh, we see a lot from Kyler Murray. You know, if he, if Kyler Murray's a huge bust, that might be a a knock uh, against Tate. But I think the Kyler Murray thing opens things up for guys like anyone like that, that, you know, you could be a super athletic quarterback, run all over the place, throw all over the place. Um, Cause you, you forget he had five touchdown games, you know, passing too, not just, you know, he had the huge rushing games, but he'd have huge passing games. Um, so there's some Kyler Murray there. Uh, and, you know, as long as he doesn't fall flat on his face in Arizona this year, I think that just keeps that, that door open for guys like Tate. Uh, and then he says, you've been given an elephant. You can't get rid of it. What would you do with it? Anthony, what would I do with an elephant that I can't get rid of? Yeah, I would poach it. <laughs> you see, so you would kill it. No, I'm not going to kill an elephant. That was a little joke between me oh. and the, the listeners. Oh, ride it. You got to ride it. I mean, you got to ride it. I would probably, just, yeah, I would probably just ride it, it to work. How awesome would that be? I think there was two Simpsons episodes where like Bart had an elephant, like Stampy. Um, no, the problem is they're going to eat a shitload of food. Like you, like, it's not like you could buy them a bag of peanuts. Like you're going to be feeding them a lot. Um, you're going to have, so I live in a town home. I don't know where the hell I would put an elephant. The, just the poop. Like what would you, <laughs> the elephant poop. Um, I think sell the the ivory, sell the tusks. Like that, you're gonna get a lot of money for that. Wow, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, dude, like ride. Like I think that's like the the whole reason I, you know, I'm like, oh, let's go to India. I want to ride an elephant. You know, um, you'd need a lot of space though. Like you'd need like a farm or something. Um, but that'd be cool. Like yeah, I get maybe you could open up an area and like sell elephant rides. So you'd have to like try to make money off of it somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'd have to make money off of it. So yeah, make it a tra- an attraction, like where you get people mm. to come and and ride your elephant, and they pay you like ten or fifteen bucks. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we would farm out the elephant and uh, make money from it. Yeah, uh, that's a very random question. All right, this is Paul from Utah. Uh, since most listeners are loyal weekly listeners, unified in our suffrage, and invested in the podcast quality, what type of questions would you two like to see submitted for discussion? Help me help you. 
For example, you might suggest keeping questions short, true-false questions, more Disney princesses, use complex multi-axis graphics because we all love listening to Dave describe images and words, etc. Hopefully my question fits what you've described above. I don't. I, I have no thoughts about what types of questions we want. I mean, for the next like two months, anything goes. Um, after that, uh, keeping it a little bit more football-centric is good, but whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's his question. Uh, USC opens up the 2019 season with Fresno State, the 12 and two Mountain West champs. Stanford nine and four. BYU uh, seven and six, the worst team in this group, but still very capable of beating the 2018 version of USC. Utah nine and five. Go Utes at Washington ten and four. A bye. Then at Notre Dame twelve and one. Rough. Which is more likely, six and zero oh or two and four? How about five and one or three and three? Ooh. Okay. Um, I think both six and zero oh and two and four. I mean, I think two and four is more likely. Um, the the problem is talent wise. If you when the 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 rosters come out, and I think we had you know with our college football, um, what is it the what's not the matrix? What is the guy college football? Uh, he he wrote us earlier. What is his his site? He ranked all oh. the. Yeah, uh, CFB winning edge. Yeah, the winning edge. Um, I think he would say USC is more talented than five of those six teams. Maybe not Notre Dame. But I still think, even with the new offense and stuff, I still think two and four is probably uh, more likely. I think I would probably take the like the, the lower on both of these. I think three and three and two and four are more likely than six and oh and five and one. What about you? Yeah, I, I think the most likely scenarios, I mean, we're talking one, two, three road games at teams that can definitely beat USC. Like, that's tough. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Stanford at home and Utah at home, both of whom are going to be good enough to beat USC this year. Fresno State will take a small step back, but they're still going to be, like, competent. It's just at home, I think, you got to give USC the edge there, but yeah, um, I've got, so this is only one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. So it's only six games. Um, yeah, it's two and four or three and three for me. Like, I think that's what it is. Like, I don't think they're going four and two in this stretch because that requires them beating. Like they're going to have to beat every team at home, probably Fresno state, Stanford, Utah, and then beat probably BYU on the road. Yeah. And then, lose to Washington and Notre Dame and that's a tough ask yeah that's that's three tough home games and like a not inconsiderable road game at BYU so yeah I think three and three is probably what I would pick like if you just told me to pick it but yeah definitely two and four or three and three of those of those options yeah six and oh just seems really difficult I mean I could you could talk me into four and two but the other ones are just it's harder and that you know if they come out and they pound Fresno State and beat Stanford, and they look good, and the offense is like clicking and all that. Yeah, that I think that could change. But there's just so many things that kind of have to go right, and it's such a tough schedule. It's possible, but it's not like it doesn't seem as likely. Um, things are going to have to fall right, and this team's going to have to look. You know, there would be a team that would look significantly different in game than they have last year, or even the year before when they went to the Cotton Bowl. So. Um, one in five, one in five is likelier than six and zero. That like, yeah, I think, uh, the actual math on it, I think one in five is likelier than six and zero. If you do like yeah, do the math. Just and stuff. if you just multiply the odds, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I don't think so. So all right, 
Cool. And then um, also for the guy from Germany, I am a Dave too. <laughs> Ryan? You want to be Ryan? Come on, man. Dave does all the noble, quote, hard work of filling out the alleged Google Docs spreadsheet. <laughs> Love the podcast, Paul from Utah. Does Love it, joke? Paul. Does he know that you don't do that? Is that? I think so. I think that's okay. part of the joke. Okay. <laughs> You're going to do it one of these days. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, oh, this one looks interesting. Oliver, Disney princess hot takes. We, we've... Did we make this a thing? Like, it became a thing, but then we kind of... I think, honestly, the people who hated it made it a thing. More yeah. Than anything. Okay. Uh, hey, guys. No actual Disney princesses hot take in this email, but I'm going to own it because I think Alex and Santa Barbara's idea for a hot takes mailbag was a great one. First off, while we all have some Dave tendencies, I'm definitely more of a Ryan. I mean, who wants to readily admit they are aligned with a guy who in all bold, uh, on the last podcast alone, described himself as, quote, horrible with money, quote, not organized at all, quote, <laughs> is only passing time until the world ends, quote, was worthless at my first jobs, described himself as, quote, girthy, <laughs> but, not, <laughs> but not in the context of touting male enhancement pills and whose primary reason for procreation was to create an in-house pool of child labor. <laughs> yes, Dave, you admitted all of those things within a 100-minute span last week. Dave is a perfect representation of UCLA football, smart and tons of fun to have around, but you know that he's not going to put up much of a fight when it comes to winning. We all love you, Dave. Keep doing you. No, but see, this is exactly it. Ryan would never select to, me, to be me, so obviously you're more of a Ryan. But I think you are failing to admit the number of people who are like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> like, obviously. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's part of the Ryan's worldview to not even understand that worldview. But me, I'm an empathy guy. I understand it. I understand Ryan's point of view. I understand my own. It's great. It's beautiful. I love this. Are you a Ryan? Are you a I was laughing so hard last week. Okay, on to the hot takes. Uh, Justin Herbert is the Jake Locker of Oregon football. Great tools, a good kid, Ooh. but will be drafted high based on his athleticism and wash out of the NFL early because he's just not a great football player. I love it. You, I but, love it. But Herbert's more of the tools than Locker, right? Like, No, Locker had a cannon and he was a good athlete. No, I think this is right. But he wasn't like a six five six six guy, right? Wasn't he like a six two six three guy? Like, I mean, what's an inch? I don't know. I, I like it. I like it. I'm with you. Okay, hot I'm take. Gonna win. I'm gonna win Oliver over to my side. He's gonna be more of a Dave. Okay, David Shaw should get some criticism for attempting to build a hard nosed rushing team and ending up with a semi unstoppable air raid team. I guess he deserves some acclaim for doing that as well. I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's just accurate. 100% um, out, yeah. And we were sitting here saying that, what? How how early in the season were we saying, hey, you should be passing to set up the run? Was it the first game or the second game? It was like very early. Even the year, like with uh, when Christ was there and they weren't starting Costello, you're just like, what are you doing? Like he was so stubborn trying to, it's like you had something beautiful and you need something beautiful but you wanted it to be beautiful a different way and so you weren't like it was really strange like i i yeah i i get this take um makes sense to me uh excluding mel tucker every single other current pac-12 coach coaching staff 
would have coached USC to a better record than Clay Helton did last year, assuming each coach would have gotten spring ball to install his respective system. Mm. I would. I don't know why you would exclude Mel Tucker. <laughs> it's hard to argue. I mean, the talent that that team had to be five and seven is inexcusable. So I, yeah, I don't know how hot of a take this is, but no, definitely not. Uh, Washington season will look like USC circa 2016 starts out slow and loses some early games as they acclimate to a new, uh, to, uh, I'm sorry, acclimate a lot of new talent, but it gets late in the year and they become scary good. I don't uh, think they're going to start off slow, but I don't think they're going to start disagree. off. Yeah, yes. yeah, they're not going to be a one and three type of team like USC was. That no, year. they can't be. They take the Eastern Washington at home. Cal at home, or no, they, yeah, Eastern Washington at home, Cal at home, Hawaii at home. Like, yeah, they're not starting anything other than, I mean, I guess an outside chance at two and one, but that's that that looks like a three and zero Washington start, and by the time that comes around, they should start gelling, and then it's at BYU, that'll be a tough one. USC at home, that'll be relatively tough, and Stanford on the road, that'll be pretty tough, but then it's you know Washington at Arizona, that's manageable. Like they, I mean, they get three. Not full warm-ups. Cal's going to be a little bit tough, but three, you know, manageable opponents before they really get into tough stuff. I mean, I think, you know, if everything gels like it's, like, you know, Oliver posits it will by the end of the year, I mean, it should start happening after three games. Yeah, I would think so. I think that gives you, and I don't think there's any way they're going to lose to Cal again. So that's that's going to be circled, starred, um, bracketed. Every They're, they're going to want to win that game at home, so... Uh, I, I think they're going to start off three and zero almost in every situation. So it's it's going to be different. Um, maybe last year you could have argued that when you know they had an early game uh, against Auburn. But uh, hit the day who tries to come off as the most serious guy in the room is secretly in love with Oregon strength coach Aaron Feld's ridiculous flex Friday videos because he's actually a giant homer. Uh, and then. He links to something. What is he linking to? I didn't look at this. Uh, this it's is a video of Aaron Feld doing his um, fill the sleeves challenge. I don't know, forty five day challenge, Flex Friday. I don't know. Oh, okay. it's all a bunch of garbage. Some whatever. some kind of thing. So, yeah, Hithliday's a homer. Like that's not that's not hot. Take, that's right? not even up for debate. And I don't even think Hithliday would like necessarily. No. you know, naysay that. He's no. an Oregon fan. That's fine. Yeah, that's cool. And you Why know, not? he said some smart things. Had some dumb things. Yeah. But we love Hitler Day. Uh, keep up the great offseason podcast and fire Larry Scott Oliver. Good stuff, Oliver. All right, APR. This is from Bob. Hey there, it's Bob in Anchorage. Uh, so I was just wondering if one of you all could explain the whole APR process, such as how they calculate it, why a school like UCLA would be at the bottom of the Pac-12 and such. All right, I can do this because I actually looked it up. Um, oh, good. All right, so you get essentially, to boil it down to like the very, very basics of it, you get one point for being um, academically eligible um, or in good standing academically from like uh, academic period to academic period, so either semester or quarter, and you get one point for staying at the institution. Um, so if you leave the institution, um, you'll get docked one point, but if you left in good academic standing, you only get docked one point. If you left in bad academic standing and you left, it's minus two points. Um, so, and there's some caveats with NFL draft stuff. I think they made allowances for that, but that's the gist of it. Um, the reason why UCLA is the bottom of the Pac-12 um, in both sports, uh, a lot of transfers out and a lot of guys 
mostly transfers out and um, many of them or some of them not being in great academic standing when they did so. But um, Chip Kelly jettisoning, like, I don't know, I think in that academic cycle, it was at least 15, maybe 20 guys um, in transfer uh, position was not great. Uh, UCLA having a bunch of guys transfer out um, from the China scandal, I think, was um, at the beginning of this last cycle, or maybe that was the previous year. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, But they've had, obviously, their share of guys leaving and guys maybe not maintaining academic standards. Uh, But the football team, the main, the the reason that single year APR was 881 was mostly um, the attrition immediately after Chip Kelly took over and all of the guys who left school. Um, or left to go um, to another school. That's that's not going to sit right with APR no matter what you're doing. Gotcha. All right. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, there's you get dinged for stuff like that. A lot of people transfer out. Um, you need, that's what you need, the strong walk-ons. You know, The walk-ons come in and, and boost your APR. They stick around. They get good grades. They help you out. Uh, let's see. So we got one from Jamie, and it's a meme. I want my $2. So it's a picture of the little paperboy kid uh, from the movie, $2 cash. It says, here's 13-year-old Ryan collecting his newspaper fee. Bonus points if you know what movie this is from. I know. Uh, like Better Off Dead or something? Yeah, it's Better Off Dead. It was from the 80s. I don't remember a lot about this movie, though. Um, Isn't this also the one with John Cusack and the boombox? Oh, the one... No, that's say isn't that say anything? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, is it also John Cusack in this? one? I think it is John Cusack in that one. But it's like a little paperboy kid trying to collect his two dollars. Um, but he's, he's like got a switchblade in this picture. I never carried a switchblade, Jamie. Uh, but I still remember the, the the house that would give me the the Snickers bar. That was great. So that yep. was that was the highlight of my week. Hey, yay! That's oh, but sad, Dave doesn't but... like Snickers, so. No, Snickers are complete and utter bullshit, and you should be ashamed of yourself, but it's fine. Would you have said, so if you're collecting and they they leave you a Snickers bar, would you have said... I would have spit in their face. Would would you say, I really... Okay, this is what you should do. I really appreciate that you would think of me and leave a Snickers bar. Uh, I have some allergy to nuts. How about if you, you know, if you have Milky Ways, I would take that, like... That's the I'm way not going to lie to them. I'm not going to lie to them. <laughs> you would I'm not going to say I have an allergy. Spit in their face. Okay. <laughs> no, because it's their garbage decision to hand out nuts to a little kid. That's, whatever. That's it wasn't really up. a thing back then. Like, like no what one... if they were trying? What if they were like, you know what? There's a there's a one percent chance this kid has a real nut allergy. Let's see if we can kill him. That really like, wasn't what if they were a trying thing to do back that then. to you. No one yeah, knew that well, back then. Yeah. Psh. All right. Yeah. Time of sadists and monsters. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one's from Bernie. Is our last, last question. Last one. We've been racing through this show. Not too All bad. right, uh, Bernie. Uh, for Ryan, in reading the Los Angeles Times, it seems USC is facing multiple lawsuits not related to sports. If Clay Helton falters this upcoming season, do you think from a financial aspect, USC will have the money to hire a big-name coach? So I think the there for, there's just a lot of fires for the administration to put out uh, in the university. So they have a new president coming in July 1st, and it's just what kind of priorities – are you going to have? There was a new scandal with the the school of social work that involved, like they got rid of their dean, and there's, uh, you know, there's, I don't know, I, I read about it in the LA Times some crazy other scandal. There's another scandal about, uh, I think one of the professors I want to say who is a plastic surgeon, and uh, it was like on local news where they did 
botched plastic surgery stuff. Like there's been a bunch of things that weren't, that don't involve the athletic problem. So I think careful when she comes in, is going to have her hands full dealing with all this kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think the money is coming from the same place. It's, you know, they talk about that USC raised like $7 billion over the last eight years or whatever it was to, you know, boost the endowment. And you're like, Oh, they could just, you know, buy a new Coliseum or whatever. It's like that. It's just different money. So I don't think dealing with a lot of the scandals in the, the main university will have a big impact on hiring a head coach. To me, it's more about who are you bringing in the athletic department? Are they going to be former football players that just kind of go along, go with the flow, or are they going to be actual, you know, real athletic directors that would come in and do an assessment of, Hey, it would cost this much money to hire like an urban Meyer or something, but it would create this much money. You know, that, that, I think that's the sort of thing you would have to do right now, the way it's constructed, they they would never hire anyone big name just because they don't have, it's just the administration so poorly run. It would have to be careful coming in, taking part of the time she's dealing with all these other fires and fixing the athletic department by putting in an actual an athletic director and then let that person kind of make the decision to hire a, a big name coach. That's, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that's right. For Dave, judging from what I'm reading on the UCLA site, Kelly is putting a lot more effort into recruiting. Do you think he can overcome his bad start in what year one? Also, you stated in an earlier podcast that Mora's heart was never truly fully committed to UCLA. Do you see the same thing with Kelly? Okay. Huh. I don't remember saying that about Mora. Maybe I did. I say a lot of things I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, maybe to an extent, and also especially after his second year, um, I think that fell apart for him. So, okay. Uh, do you th- do I think he can overcome his bad start? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's possible. Um, would I bet money on it right now? No, definitely not. Um, but I don't even think it's like a four percent chance. Like I think he's got a real chance still, uh, but he's got to get a lot of things right. Um, I think he's making moves in the right direction, but I want to see where things stand in recruiting. You know, in fall, like. Because right now, yeah, they've gotten some commitments, um, but they need to recruit at such a level to make up for last year, um, and uh, they're going to have to do it to a certain extent based off the results on the field. Um, and I just, uh, I, I the schedule's still pretty tough. I don't know if the results are going to completely be there. And there are ways you can recruit in your first year that are not necessarily available in your second year. In your first year, it more or less doesn't matter for recruiting purposes, what your record ends up being. Because uh, you can constantly pitch, look, these aren't our guys. We're, we're building for the future. You're part of that. Come in, help us out. But once you get into year two, it starts to become harder. You can still do yeah. it to a certain extent, but it's becoming harder. And then year three and four, it's very hard. You're recruiting off your performance, more or less. Um, so, yeah, I think you can still overcome it. But I think at this point, it has to be coupled also with them being better on the field. Now, is that possible? Yeah, but again, to an extent, I don't think there's, I don't think the schedule is there for them to go like nine and three, ten and two. I don't think, I, I don't think the talent is there for them to do that either. I think if if they're going to rebound, it's going to be more in like the seven and five range. Um, and is that going to be enough to sell a lot of guys? And and it has to be a lot of guys. Like they've got to sign a class that's going to include some early entries and some guys who are like managed around and it's got to be like 28, 29 guys um, to help start to make up the gap of, um, of, of scholarships. They're down. 
Um, because right now they're at like 70 for next year, as I've said many times on here. Um, and that's not good. Um, there's a reason why one of the most devastating sanctions the NCAA can lay out is a scholarship reduction, because that actually has a meaningful impact on the play on the field. It has a meaningful act- impact on how you practice first, but also late in the season or even early in the season. A lot of those final 15 guys, even if they are final 15 talent-wise, are playing special teams. They're doing other stuff. Um, and there's no guarantee that the other 15 guys on this roster right now wouldn't be among the best guys on the team. When you automatically start at a deficit of 15 guys, it's not as if they're all the ones who would have been 71 to 85. I mean, some of these guys, if they had been able to recruit them, might have turned out to be much better than that. So, um, Or retaining them, if as the case may be, because one of the impacts of that APR thing is the transfers out. And those transfers out are meaningfully impacting the team still this year because they're way down in scholarships. So um, all of that said, yes, he can overcome his bad start. Do I see the same thing where he's just not fully committed to UCLA? No, um, but he's got to, I mean, the recruiting really needs to pick up. And I think he needs to start understanding a little bit better what he can do at UCLA from a recruiting perspective, because I think he has his own strategy. And I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, very committed to getting serious minded guys in. He's trying to do the OKG thing at Washington. But um, I, I think an important thing to keep in mind is that's, that's not the advantage of UCLA. As we've talked about with USC and UCLA, the advantage at UCLA is you have access to really top level talent. Um, and if you can mold them into the kind of guys who you know are maybe more serious or whatever, um, great. But um, you have an advantage that Washington, when Chris Peterson was starting out, didn't have that he could just walk into a you know a Los Angeles four star five stars room and immediately you know be in that kid's top five. Um, you know that that's something that UCLA generally has, not to the extent USC has it, but UCLA has it. And I think it would be probably good to for Chip Kelly to open that up a little bit more and be a little bit more receptive to um, just, you know, recruiting a lot of the top kids at a, at a higher level earlier on and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's happening to a certain extent. I think it needs to happen to a greater extent because I think this turnaround has become something where there's a very – you can see the window. The window is smaller than it was a year ago. Um, okay. And it's not super narrow yet, but it's you know there's there's a noticeable window, and I think they need to really make some moves to get through it. So when it comes to recruiting, Chip Kelly has to opt to opt to actually recruit, is what you're saying, and not not recruit. <laughs> and I think they're doing that, but I think they also need to embrace the UCLA ness of it um, because they've gotcha. been recruiting. They've been recruiting using a lot of that Washington strategy of of identifying guys who are a fit from like a pure culture perspective. And I don't think that's bad, but when you're super exclusive about it um, at a school like UCLA, you're, you're negating one of the main advantages that you have. Um, Washington didn't have that built in advantage. They have to build, they had to build their program around those guys. UCLA has that advantage it's built in. And if you're not using that, you're not using one of the main things that makes UCLA one of those, you know, quote unquote sleeping giants. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, I think pretty good show, pretty tight show. We had a bunch of topics up top, a uh, bunch of great questions, like 15 of them or so. So it was a lot, a lot of questions. Um, but yeah, keep sending them in. Thanks everyone for doing that. I think it was really cool to get all the, the wide variety of topics. We'd had some people doing research for us, like 
This is pretty Beautiful. amazing. Amazing. I mean, amazing stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you to all our listeners. We definitely wouldn't be doing it if we didn't have the cool listeners. Like if we were getting like two questions a week, we would probably not have a show. But the fact that you guys keep emailing us questions and, and topics and stuff and engage with the show, uh, I think, am I wrong, Dave? That's the only reason we're still doing this. Uh, if we had to plan a show, like a full show, without having these like this crutch of an hour of questions every week, um, yeah, there would be no show. We would have stopped this no. a long time ago. We, you know, we get guests every once in a while, do all that stuff, but that, you know, that takes some work. But having, you know, just having an email box we can open up and has lots of cool stuff in there from all you guys. It's uh, it's great. So go out, leave us, uh, you know, send us another voicemail, uh, text, email questions. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Dave read three of them at the top of the show. We'll read more if you guys send some more. And uh, thanks again for uh, for tuning in and being part of the podcast of champions. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks again, and we will talk to you next time.